Welcome to Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. You probably have a lot of curiosity about your family history, but not a lot of time. That's why I created this podcast. In each episode, I'm going to give you the tools you need to uncover your family tree in quick and easy ways. In our first segment today, my guest is Kath Madden Trindle, a well-known family history teacher and certified genealogist. I'm going to be talking with her about how she got started researching her family history, about the story of dysfunction that she discovered in her family tree, and her tips for getting off to an excellent start in your research. Basically, my aunt had done my mom's side of the family, and my dad didn't even know his grandparents' names. So I... uh, really wanted to add to the genealogy by finding those grandparents and, and more about them. He came from a kind of dysfunctional family, so it was fun over the years to, to find where that came from. If you just say born, Mary died, no one cares. The minute you put in a good story, then, then they start paying attention. So although my family isn't into doing genealogy, they do love to hear about the stories of their ancestors. Get those interviews with your relatives when you can because they don't they don't live forever. Also, when you start doing research, make sure you write down where you got everything. One of our biggest mistakes is not knowing where to go back and look at it again when we can tie it into the story. I think those are the two main things. Uh, just really talk to those your relatives. Get them to write stories. Sometimes they won't do an interview, but they'll write something down. Uh, so so work with each one to to do what they do best. Then in our second segment, we're going to move beyond what we know and start collecting information from our relatives. But first off, my conversation with Kath Madden Trindle. Kath, I know that you've been doing family history for quite a while and you're you're really involved in um, different societies and everything, but... Let's go back to the beginning and tell us how in the world did you get started researching your family tree? What prompted you? Basically, my aunt had done my mom's side of the family, and my dad didn't even know his grandparents' names. So I uh, really wanted to add to the genealogy by finding those grandparents and, and more about them. He came from a kind of dysfunctional family, so it was fun over the years to, to find where that came from. Uh, Interesting. So did um, your discoveries kind of shed some light on that? I find, I know for myself, when I when I do find the dysfunctional folks in my family, it seems to generate a sense of compassion for me. You start to get a bigger picture. It's not just an isolated incident, but it's kind of the bigger picture of how they were raised and the time and what was going on. And, and you realize everybody has their ups and they have their downs. Yeah, I, I really did get that sense. Um as I went back further and further in his family, his his mother was the, the dysfunctional one. And as I went further back, it was through four generations of women that just were totally unsatisfied with their life and, and kind of created havoc in their families. So I actually do a story on that called Sarah Lonergan's Legacy, which was that legacy of discontent that kind of went through through all those people. Now, did, did your dad know about, I mean, did you get a chance to share this information with him? I did, yeah, but towards the end when he was actually, uh, 
he had Alzheimer's, so so I couldn't share a lot. But yes, it actually helped him to um, kind of make peace with his mother at the end, which he hadn't uh, really talked to her for quite a few years. It's interesting. Sometimes you feel like that it just starts with this person, this mom or this dad or this grandparent, and you think that this person just kind of launched into it just to be a pain in the neck. (laughs) And then you start to realize that, oh, no, this was groundwork laid years before, generations before. Generations before. And and by telling the story, that's why I like stories. By telling the story, you can actually kind of show um, other people why they might be behaving like that and and hope that they they change their behavior. Because I could see it even going into my my cousins coming down through the, the female generations again. And, and they all read the story, and they all seem to have taken it to heart. Well, I know that storytelling is one of your areas of expertise and one of your personal passions. So um, do you have any stories that you can share with us, and how, or just uh, what storytelling has meant to you and how you go about sharing family history with others? I guess I could say that I, I sit down with my three-year-old granddaughter and we look through uh, photo albums and, and I tell her the stories and now she'll ask when I mention a person, where's their picture? And and it's a way to, to pull your uh, children and grandchildren into the, the stories of their ancestors. As far as my favorite story, it's probably my husband's great-grandfather who was in the Civil War. And the story um, pulls in 60 Civil War letters that, that had been left to a second cousin of his that we found after a lot of searching um, where he had three children that died during the Civil War, uh, one of whom he never saw. But it was just all this passion in his letters that we could then put into a story. It's quite exciting. Wow. Uh, Civil War letters, that's an amazing find. How did, how did you become aware of those? How did those make their way to you? <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of years of writing letters. Um, it's the Trindle family, which is not a, a real common name, although it, it sounds like it should be. But I wrote letters every Christmas to all the ones that I had already found and usually put in three or four new names that I'd found. In one year, I, I sent off that Christmas letter. And Probably a week after I had mailed it, I got this phone call from a woman that says, my husband's your husband's second cousin, and and we have all these letters. Do you want a copy? Do I want a copy? <laughs> that, that was that was my comment. Yeah, of course I want a copy. Yeah, and, and along with that came Bible records and all sorts of other things that had passed down through that line of the family. So we we were very excited. You know, it was interesting when I, I noticed that storytelling was a part of your background. Oftentimes, when we try to share what we're finding in our research, the the glazed look comes over the face of the non-genealogist or non-family historian. But everybody likes a good story, right? That That's the truth, yeah. Um, when I t- do storytelling classes, that's the first thing I, I point out. If you just say, born, married, died, no one cares. The minute you put in a good story, then, then they start paying attention. So although my family isn't into doing genealogy, they do love to hear about the stories of their ancestors. Now, we find the the basic information from things like census records and probate records, that type of thing. Um, where do you get the the context of the stories? How do you develop them past the names and the dates? Um, you use those census records. Um, it tells you who's living in the household. Um, if you have someone that served in, in the Civil War or, or military, getting pension papers is one of the best story telling. I, I have one file that was over 200 pages long, and the man basically wrote his whole life story trying to convince him he needed a pension. Um, 
prison records are some of the one, wonderful ones. So if you have uh, those ancestors that got in trouble, lots of times those prison records tell a good story. But newspapers are the new thing we're really finding. Uh, the little town newspapers would put when people visited, when, uh, you know, family died even somewhere else. I found more um, information in, in a brother's town than I do in, in uh, the town where someone lives sometimes, just because that got reported. So with all the newspapers going online, it, it's just yeah. absolutely wonderful what you can find. Absolutely. Well, we have a lot of folks listening who may actually just be getting started. They've uh, they watched Roots back in the 70s. They've you know seen a TV show here and there. They've heard a story. And they start to think, well, maybe I do have some family stories. Knowing what you know today, what would you have done differently when you first got started doing your research? What, what are your warnings and tips for the, the newbie? Um, get those interviews with your relatives when you can because they don't, they don't live forever. Also, when you start doing research, make sure you write down where you got everything. One of our biggest mistakes is not knowing where to go back and look at it again when we can tie it into the story. I think those are the two main things. Uh, just really talk to those your relatives. Get them to write stories. Sometimes they won't do an interview, but they'll write something down. Uh, so, so work with each one to, to do what they do best. That's a good point. Some people are reluctant. And do you have any little techniques or tips that you use to kind of pull some of that out of the, the more reluctant relative? <laughs> I'm not a great interviewer, so <laughs> that's, that's not my highlight, but I actually do get them to write things down. I'll give them just one little thing to write about and a paragraph, you know, fills in the story. So I, I just kind of give them assignments and we do stories annually in my family where where we pick one thing that happened while we were growing up and and have everyone write about it there's six kids in my family so we put that all together and and come up with stories and, and it works out really well wonderful you have obviously made a lot of headway in your research what keeps you motivated is there ever a point where you just said oh well that, that's enough. I've spent a lot of time on this. <laughs> never, never. It's the puzzles. It's trying to find that next, that next missing piece. And it seems like every time I, I try to give up on one family, I find something on that family. So I just have so many loose ends that I don't think I'll ever be done. I don't think any real genealogist is ever done. Kath, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Well, it's really great to be here. Now, in our last episode, we talked about the various genealogy databases that are available to you, everything from free downloads to paying around $30 and up for a genealogy software database. Now, I hope you downloaded your database and entered the information that you know about your family. Now, don't worry if you don't know a lot, because that's why we're here, to fill in the blanks and bring your family history to life. Now, some of you may still be on the fence about purchasing a database. So, for you, the best thing to do is to download the free Family Tree Legends online software that I told you about in Episode 1, and that's available from FamilyTreeLegends.com slash downloads. 
go ahead and just start with this. This is going to give you what you need to, to get organized right off the bat. And if you want to, you can always switch to a paid program later on. So go into your database and start by creating a new file and add that information about yourself. And then add in your parents and then your grandparents. Go back as far as you can with as much information as you have available. Now the next thing we're going to do is contact some of your relatives and see how much more information that you can collect before you start digging into records. So start with your oldest living relative. Perhaps this is a grandparent or a great aunt or your parents. Just let them know that you're going to try and create a family tree and that you need their help. Now they might just jump in with the standard answer, oh, oh, I don't, I don't know anything. I don't remember. But just ignore that. <laughs> Your job is to help gently jog their memory and record everything that you can learn. Now a really good way to do this is to ask a specific question. Like, when was grandmother born? Even then you might get an, I don't know, but don't give up. If you have an estimate of the date, or maybe someone else has mentioned that they thought that it was let's say in June, offer that up and say, oh, I thought I heard that it was in June, and see if that doesn't help the person that you're talking to remember the date. Now, if you say June, they might go, oh, no, no, it, it was always snowing during her birthday. Terrific. Everything is a clue. So the more clues that you can gather, the better. Even if they aren't hard and fast facts, these clues will at least give you a really good starting place to look for that exact information down the road. Now, whether you're meeting in person or you might be interviewing this person over the phone, you'll want to write down everything they tell you. Your database can provide just what you need to do this. Let's say you're going to go interview your mom. So you go into mom's record in the database and go up to the menu and select, it'll be something like reports and you want to be able to print a family group sheet. So select family group sheet and print it out for your, and that will give you a printout for your parents' family. This will show the information that you entered and provide a lot of blank spots for information that you're gonna need. So print a family group sheet for each nuclear family group that you think that you might be discussing with this person that you're interviewing. Again, go to the record of the mom and the dad and the family and then print that family group sheet. So it'll include all of their children as well. The family group sheet is a great tool for filling in. And then when you're done with your interviews, you can just head back to your database and you can enter all the new information that you've recorded on the group sheet. Now, remember what I said to start with your oldest living relatives? This seems pretty logical. And yet so many people put off these interviews and sadly, they end up having regrets later when the person has passed away and they realize that they never got around to asking questions about the family. Each person has unique information to share and you don't want to miss out on it. So make this a goal this week to call your oldest living relative and make arrangements to see them right away or have a chat on the telephone and ask them for their help. While they might feel a little reluctant at first, you know, maybe a little shy, they will probably really end up enjoying talking about the old days and reminiscing about the family. And they'll probably really appreciate your sincere interest in their life. Already, 
the process of discovering your family history begins to reap rewards. Now, in this next section, I want to talk a little bit about some of the traps to avoid. Um, the database gives you one central location where all your data is going to reside. But, of course, this database can't enter the data itself. <laughs> you have to be diligent to enter information as you get it. Now, I'll say that again. As you get it. Trap number one to avoid. Don't put off data entry. It's a sinking ship. And you don't want to die at sea in a sea of paperwork, that is. So enter information as you go, and it will definitely pay off. Now let's go back and think about what Kath Madden Trindle said in the interview segment. Her first recommendation was, no matter what, write down where you got your information from. It's so easy after a few years to forget where you got the information, and this can cause problems if down the road you get information that conflicts with it. So trap number two, not entering sources. Aha, now there's a vocab term for us, source. A genealogy source is the documenting or citing of where you got your information. And we need to document our sources in a consistent manner. Luckily, again, our trusty database can make this pretty simple for us. In Family Tree Legends, the button to click to enter a source kind of looks like a stack of books. So, for example, let's say that you're looking at the record of your grandmother in the database, and you've just entered her birthday and her birthplace. Click the source button to the right of her name and select Birth Sources. And this will bring up a window where you can create the source. In this case, it was an interview with grandmother. But, of course, you're going to type her full name. See, even the term grandmother isn't specific enough because you have more than one. And that's a clue to sourcing. You want to enter information so that you'll know exactly where you got the information from. As you continue in your search, you'll be entering sources such as census records, books, wills, and all kinds of great resources that you uncover. In future episodes, we're going to talk more about documenting these sources. But for right now, your living relatives are the sources that you're focused on. Now, here's one more thing to keep in mind while you're asking relatives for information. Ask them if it's okay with them if you share the information that they've provided with other people, like through printed family trees and things like that. While names and dates on a family tree will not likely be objectionable to them, some relatives may prefer that certain stories that they share remain confidential until they're passing. I had a friend once who didn't even know who her father's parents were. And when she told him that she wanted to learn about their family history, he agreed to give her limited information. And even then, he wanted some of that information to be kept confidential until after his death. He also refused to talk about his father because his parents were not married when he was born back in Sweden. And while that wasn't a big deal in Sweden, he felt really uncomfortable about it being known once they got to America. She assured him that she would respect his wishes, and she asked him if he would be willing to look at the findings that she got as she made her discoveries and at least tell her whether or not he believed that they were accurate, and he agreed to do so. And I thought that that was a really creative solution. 
the stuff was just not stuff that he was comfortable talking about himself. So assure people of their privacy. And like my friend, see if you can perhaps negotiate an arrangement that's going to work for everybody involved. So have a lot of fun this week reconnecting with your older relatives and filling in those blanks in your database the best way that you can. Next week, we are going to answer the question, why do we work backwards in genealogy? And then we're going to fire up the Internet because we're going online. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of the show. You'll find the show notes for this episode, which include all the links I've talked about at my website, genealogygems.com. And there you'll also discover a lot more tips and tools for finding your family history in my podcasts, the blog posts, books, and videos. Become a Genealogy Gems premium member, and you're also going to get access to exclusive content like my full-length video classes and the premium podcast episodes. We have a new one of those coming out every month. Now, if you have any questions about this episode, or if you'd like to share your experiences on how the podcast has impacted your own family history journey, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 925-272-4021, and we might just play it here on the show. Thanks so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.